It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. is the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Well, this is a real treat. It's not every day that you get to talk with a best-selling author. It's not every day that you get to talk with one of the foremost conservative legal scholars in the country. It's not every day that you get to talk with an alumnus of the Reagan administration, and it's not every day that you get to talk with one of the most listened to nationally syndicated talk show hosts in the country, and not to mention one of the most watched hosts on the weekend on cable news, but it's a rare day indeed where all those folks are the same person. Gives me a great deal of pleasure. The man that uh, some of you call Dr. Levin, the man that uh, Rush Limbaugh called F. Lee Levin, and the man that just about everybody calls the great one. Uh, Let me welcome Mark Levin. Mark, it's a real treat to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me. Wow, Frank, I have to come more often with an introduction like that, but thank you. You're very, very gracious. Appreciate it, man. Uh, Mark, I've been uh, listening to you for two decades since you started on Sundays on WABC. I think probably even before that when you were just filling in. And it was clear that you were destined for greatness in radio. But what I think many of us maybe didn't anticipate, knowing how entertaining you are, knowing how smart you are, we didn't necessarily anticipate you would become one of the go-to intellectual leaders leaders of the conservative movement in print, on TV and radio and digital. A lot of folks are looking to your guidance on a regular basis with respect to 2024. There seems to be two schools of, of, of thought among the conservative camp. One is that Republicans should defer to Trump and allow him to be the nominee unfettered. And the other is that maybe the Republican Party would be better with someone other than Trump. I know you did a great interview with DeSantis last week. What's your your view on how the 2024 race plays out. What do you think is best for the Republican Party and best for the country? And I'll let you in on a secret. In the audience, I'll be doing a great interview, not because of me, the guest, with President Trump in a few weeks, too. Oh. Um, that is a very intelligent way of trying to figure out who I support. <laughs> Frank, you've gotten very good at this. Uh, tell everybody, you used to be a producer, you used a few times you were, were my call screener. You've made it big time, buddy. And well, you're very, very good. And well, I really appreciate it. I appreciate that. One of the early compliments that I got uh, when I filled in for you is uh, at the end of the show, I think it was only a two-hour show at the time, you said, Frank, you yeah. did a good job keeping up with us tonight in terms of getting the calls on hold. <laughs> That's not an easy thing. So I appreciate that. But but honestly. Well, I, I'll answer it. I, yeah. I will tell you this. Uh I think we benefit from either one of these men, frankly. I'm not one of those that says we can't win without Trump, and I'm not one of those that's going to trash DeSantis. I like both of these men very much. Uh, They are very different men in many respects. At some point, I'll make some kind of a decision, but I do not want to really start um, 
getting into this this uh, who do I support, who am I going to support game yet, because I have responsibilities both on TV and radio and so forth, and I I want people to continue to listen to the arguments, continue to see how things go. We have a long way to go. And uh, the bottom line is we have to defeat the enemy. And in the end, that will be my my uh, my conclusion. Who will help us defeat the enemy and uh, and take this country back? Because the Democrats are killing us. So that's where I come from. I'm friends with both of these men. I think highly of both of these men. Uh, I think that it should be one or the other, as opposed to all the others who will be lining up and and feel that they should be president. Um, and um, and I spend time and talk to both of these men to answer your question as best I can. The uh, there was a lot of reporting that uh, that maybe Fox News had instituted some sort of a soft ban on Donald Trump. I know he was on with uh, Sean Hannity this week, but the fact that you're having him on in a couple of weeks, I guess that goes to show that the reporting on that uh, soft Trump ban was inaccurate. I can only speak for myself. Nobody's banned anybody for me or from me or told me I can't do anything. Uh, so in terms of that. Uh, I can I can say definitively, uh, at least with respect to me and my show, there is no ban. Period. A lot of the folks that were responsible for the Republicans winning uh, the Congress in 2010, a lot of people credit the energy of the Tea Party movement. 2016 with Donald Trump, who was written off as having no chance of winning, a lot of folks credit the energy of the MAGA movement, the Make America Great Again movement. As far as you're concerned, in 2024, do you think the key to winning in the general election is energizing sort of the center-right population? Populists in the country, the kind of Buchanan-style pitchfork populists, or is it trying to win over Democrats and independents? How do you see a general election strategy for the Republicans? I think they should uh, take a look at the Reagan election. And Reagan wasn't dividing conservatives and the Republicans and the nation one way or another. We had a country that was on its back under Carter, uh, economically, militarily, uh, in so many ways. And Reagan laid out an agenda, and we failed in the midterms to lay out an agenda, mostly due to Mitch McConnell, because he's a disaster. I think everybody can agree on that, and he's very unpopular. Uh, and he uh, undermines conservatives left and, left and right and contributes to these Democrat legislative victories, uh, bad legislative victories when it comes to so much of the spending. So I think we have to throw off that kind of republicanism, the Bush um, Gerald Ford, Rockefeller, uh, Rhino Republicanism, Mitch McConnell Republicanism, and conservatives need to unite, whether conservatives are fiscal conservatives or social conservatives or, or defense hawks or whatever they are. Uh, we're not big enough to split ourselves into little pieces. So whether we call ourselves MAGA or Tea Party or Reagan Revolution or all those things, as I do, uh, there are certain fundamentals that I hope a Republican candidate will run on, whether it's the size of government, whether it's securing the border, whether it's uh, the private sector, uh, national security. And you can go down a list of five or six and run on those five or six things. And those should appeal, I would think, uh, to the largest majority of Americans and also be prepared to push back on the radical agenda of the left 
and have some arguments, some bullet points in your mind and repeat them wherever you go to uh, to confront them. I mean, it's not like Joe Biden is a genius when it comes to marketing himself or his propaganda. He's, he's vile and he's vicious and he lies. And uh, people who run for president should be able to uh, to deal with that. And if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Mark Levin, in addition to being a nationally syndicated radio talk show host, one of the most listened to in the country. He's a best-selling author. His latest book is American Marxism. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, you can actually order it right at marklevinshow.com. That's marklevinshow.com. You'll appreciate it, Mark, that uh, my son's uh, babysitter says that your book, uh, several of your books, actually stand right next to the Bible on her bookshelf. That's oh, wow. among her. Well, most uh, valued possession. <laughs> well, according well, to you know, the, the book, people talk about Frank as liberty and tyranny yeah. most of the time. Yeah, which was the, it came out about the same time the Tea Party was rising. Uh, not, not you know, on purpose. It was coincidence. And uh, we had a hell of a good election year that midterm. I mean, we we took sixty six House seats. We would have taken more Senate seats, but for McConnell and so many of his. Uh, Rhino candidates, and again, his refusal to back conservatives. Um, and we took God knows how many seats in the legislatures and governorships. It was a massive landslide. And we did the same in the Reagan Revolution. And in the MAGA Revolution, we won the presidency. That was a big deal against all odds. So, uh, I mean, to, to play the Washington establishment game is to lose. Mm. And, and not only to lose politically, we have a battle on our hands. And we need to elect people who understand what kind of battle we're facing. It is a culture war. It's in our classrooms. It's in our media. It's in our academia. It is everywhere. It's in the HR departments for major corporations. Uh, they're changing our language. They're, they're raising questions about binary sex. I mean, it's the most absurd thing, and yet it's out there. And if we have people running who don't comprehend it, like a Chris Sununu or a Chris Christie or people like that, who are not prepared to engage, but instead stab our guys in the back who are engaging, I reject them. Trump understands it. DeSantis understands it. Uh, they've both done things about it to fight it, and I don't know that there are many more who do or can. Speaking of Trump, on the on domestic policy, obviously foreign policy is another matter, but uh, on domestic policy, there seems to be very little difference between Trump and the other candidates that are talking about running, uh, whether it's DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Pompeo, Pence. One of the few areas in domestic policy where it does seem there's a significant difference is Social Security and Medicare, the so-called entitlements. Donald Trump, every chance he gets in every speech and every social media post, in every interview, he says Republicans should absolutely not touch Social Security and not touch Medicare, and it's a recipe for losing elections. A lot of the other Republicans, uh, both in the Senate and those talking about running for president, seem to disagree. Where do you come down on the issue of how to handle the future of Social Security and Medicare? Is Trump right? Now, wait a minute. Two questions I think you're asking. What do I think needs to be done or what do i think politically well is the smartest I, I'll, I'll ask both i'll ask both what, what needs to be done and what's the politically expedient thing to do well what needs to be done is if they're not changed they're gonna they're gonna collapse and let me tell you what i mean the trustees of both programs the trustee of medicare says by 2028 there won't be enough funds left now what are we going to do we're going to let it collapse that means nobody's going to get care 
But what it really means is automatically there's going to be a massive payroll tax increase and there's going to be a slash in benefits. So if you do nothing, that doesn't mean nothing's going to happen. The law of economics, they don't care about it. The laws of economics are not affected by politics. They are what they are. And what they are is if you keep spending money, you don't take enough in, a system will collapse. And by the way, they drained all the money out of the trust fund anyway. So we're really talking about IOUs. And then the trustees say that in 10 years, Social Security won't have funds. So what do we do about that? We just keep saying we're not going to touch it, not going to touch it. Well, we have to touch it. And there are ways to do it. But the longer we wait, the harder it is. And the way you do it is to increase the eligibility age. You grandfather in the people who are on Social Security. You grandfather the people in who are, say, 10 years away from Social Security. And then everybody else has to understand that we're raising the age because the age 65 comes from Bismarck in the mid-1800s in Germany <laughs> when they had the first Social Security program. Okay, well, we got to deal with that. They've expanded Social Security. They've included more people on Social Security. They've included young people, depending on if they have parents on Social Security. The problem with the federal government, it's not supply and demand. It's only demand. The private sector is supply and demand. The federal government's all demand. It's all one way. So Social Security will be addressed one way or another, as will Medicare will be addressed one way or another. The prediction is if Social Security isn't addressed, um, the payroll tax will jump from 12 point whatever percent it is on the employer and employee side to 25 percent automatically. And the and the benefits will be reduced. So we don't want that, do we? And on, on the Medicare side, I already mentioned what would happen. Mm-hmm. So the problem is Joe Biden has already politicized this. He says people want to take Social Security and Medicare away from you. And it's an amazing thing. The Democrats took almost $800 billion out of Medicare to fund Obamacare. And they've taken almost $300 billion out of Medicare, even in this last cycle, in this massive monstrosity they voted for, again, to move funds to uh, uh, to uh, Obamacare. So they keep draining Medicare. And Social Security is just sort of slowly slowly, slowly heading south. So that's number one. As a as a realistic matter, these programs need to be addressed. Uh, we don't have as many young people as we did contributing before. We have more and more seniors. Uh, take Medicare. Medical expenses are getting higher and higher. Uh, as for whether you should run on it, I don't think you should run on it. I mean, I think if you become president, you need to do something about it. And I think what I would be saying is, look, it's not my goal to cut benefits to current Social Security and Medicare recipients or to cut it for uh, future recipients who will soon be eligible for it. But we do need to take a look at it and figure out how to save these programs. That's what I would say. And it would be demagogued nonetheless, but you've got to defend yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out in the primaries. Uh, Mark, you've been very generous with your time, and I, I hope you'll come back because uh, I have a ton of questions for you about uh, the documents case and a lot of what's happening legally and in the courts. But I have to ask you uh, selfishly yeah. because uh, I see the incredible kind of uh, radio career that you, you've built, even though you came from sort of traditionally a non-radio background, uh, working as a, an attorney, head of Landmark Legal, working in the Reagan administration, doing a lot of other things. Making the transition from politics, government, and the law to radio, you make it look easy. You make your show sound effortless. Now, I know it 
it's not effortless because I know what it takes to do a three or four hour show every day. But did the fact that you were such a big radio listener to people like Bob Grant and Rush Limbaugh and others, did that make that transition easier or did you have other, some sort of other secret sauce to sounding so natural on the radio? Well, that certainly helped. I was a fan of some of these greats and I would listen to them. I'd fall asleep with them with my transistor radio on. Even Larry King, I would listen to him, didn't much like him, but his interview style and so forth. And uh, the great Rush Limbaugh, of course, and he told me the key to being a great radio host is being yourself, not to be anybody else. The audience will know it. But here's the little dirty secret. When I was 16 years old, I wrote and harassed the program director at WCAU in Philadelphia, now WPHT. Mm. And I wanted to do a, a teenager talk show because I would listen to the talk show host there. And, um, well, of course, he wouldn't let me do that, but he let me do an hour, and I was hooked. So even though I went in a different direction, law and all the rest of it, it was always in the back of my mind. And yet it's really um, uh, luck that I got into it because I would send Rush information on the Constitution, the law, and that's where F. Lee Levin comes from, director of the legal division. There was no legal division, of course. And Hannity, uh, from time to time, would ask me to come in. And then and then the program director at WABC at the time, Phil Boyce, asked if I would want to fill in when Hannity was out. Rush asked if it, one thing led to another. And so my advice to people is this. In order to get somewhere, you got to be somewhere. If you just want to do something, that's not good enough. Look at your own career. You were a producer. You were answering call for, And now you're a radio host. Look at uh, Rich Valdez, who's also my friend. Absolutely. He was a, he was a, a phone answer. Uh, ben Shapiro was going to make it no matter what, but he was a sub, as was Dan Bonfino. These are great hosts. These are great people, as are you, as are others. And so the trick is, whether it's radio or something else, make sure you're there, wherever there is, wherever that business is. And I can tell you, when I did the Sunday show you talked about, uh, I did two hours. It didn't even show up on the ratings, and all of a sudden it was showing up. I did it for 14 months. You know how much I got paid for that time? I, I have a pretty good idea. I worked for Phil Boyce and knew what he paid back then. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> Zero. And I said, you know what? I'm going to try it out. I'm going to give it a shot. And it was because the manager there didn't have any money. And I said, all right, let's do it. It's just like on-the-job learning, the biggest radio station in America. And that's what I did. And, and they, they needed somebody for an hour during the week. I said, all right, I'd do an hour, and then one thing led to another. Uh, Mark, uh, it's such a treat to talk with you. Can you give us a preview of what's coming up on uh, Life, Liberty, and Levin this Sunday evening? Yeah, among other things, um, we have a gentleman who was a reporter for Fox. And uh, Ben went to the Ukraine, and, of course, uh, he came back. He almost died there. He lost a leg. He lost the movement in one hand. It's paralyzed. He lost the sight in one eye. almost lost his life. And he has a new book coming out. And I'm really not into the book, book, book stuff, but I use the opportunity for a new book if I really like the author, if there's something interesting, to dig deeply into to certain events. And I want to understand exactly what happened to him because um, it was horrific. We've heard about I didn't even know of his injuries until I started reading his book. And uh, what was taking place over there. So I think that'll be very, very interesting. 
That's for sure. Mark. Uh, In addition it, to my opening statement, of course. Well, that uh, that stops traffic. People make sure uh, they're, <laughs> they're listening to that. And we have it on here at the radio station, obviously. every Everybody stops and looks up whenever uh, whenever the show begins to hear the, uh, the, opening, uh, the opening salvo. Mark, it's always a treat to talk with you. I hope we can do this again soon. Thank you. God bless, Frank. Take care of yourself, brother. Thank you. The great Mark Levin. If you want to check out uh, the book American Marxism, you can go to marklevinshow.com, marklevinshow.com. You want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Midnight. 